Welcome, and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church. This week, we turn to the book of Genesis, and during this sermon, we look at biblical femininity and the glory of God's design of women. You can join us by turning in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, as Pastor Josh LaGrange delivers his sermon titled, Glorious Femininity. Genesis chapter 1 this morning, taking a break from Romans, Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, we're going to read verses 26 and 27 here in just a moment, then we will pray and then look at the word together. So Genesis 1, 26 and 27, and then let's pray. So verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Let's pray together. Our glorious God in heaven, we love you, Lord, and we thank you. Father, we thank you for the millions and millions of graces that you have given to us. We thank you for Christ. Father, our greatest worship is, Lord, reserved for what you have done to bring us to salvation, your work to bring redemption, your work to draw us to yourself. Father, we worship you now. We will worship you forever. But Father, we we want to see every single way that you have displayed your glory, every single gift that you have given And Father, we want to rejoice in your ways, your works. We want to see the beauty you've made and delight in it. Lord, see your glory through what you've made. I ask God that you give us grace to be able to do that this morning. I ask God that as we look at your word, you will instruct us, you will speak, you will teach. Father, that you will help us to see and understand and come to know you. Father, I'm so thankful that we've gotten to come back uh, together again corporately. And though Satan wants to try to work every way that he can, trying to discourage your people, trying to bring distraction, Father, help us. Help us right now to be able to focus intently. Help us to be able to see, to draw near. Help me, God, to preach and be useful in this time. And for your glory, we pray you would work. We love you, O Lord. We pray these things through Christ. Amen. Well, last Sunday, I told you uh, some about Jim Elliott and a bit about his wife. Let me make mention of his wife once again and actually have several places throughout this morning I intend to, uh, to quote and make reference to her. Elizabeth Elliott wrote a book uh, entitled, Let Me Be a Woman. The premise and message of the book is an appeal to see the glory and rejoice in the glory of beautiful femininity instead of trying to pressure women to act like men. You've no doubt noticed that modern feminism has gotten popular again. It comes in waves every few years. It's popular again. And Hollywood, um, huge sarcasm here, suddenly grew enormously virtuous hearts. Imagine this. And it is uh, very in vogue right now to celebrate women in culture. But you'll notice this. Only to celebrate women when they act 
masculine. Let me say that again in case you missed it. The most recent wave of the feminist feminist movement and interest has been entirely a movement of celebrating all of the ways that women can act like men. It is ironically then not a celebration of true femininity. And Miss Elliot in the book makes the appeal, God designed me for glorious work. Stop trying to tell me it's not glorious. God designed me for ways to to serve him and, and obey him in ways that are different than men. Stop trying to tell me that it's not glorious. She makes the appeal, God designed my body to be able to bear children and has called me to nurture and raise, to equip these image bearers and send them out into the world. Stop trying to tell me that my worth would only come through uh, accolades of the world and promotions, careers, and paychecks. Stop trying to rob me of the joy of what God designed me for. See the beauty of God's design and delight in it. Well, when we look around at our culture, we see Hollywood claim to want to honor women, and yet really in the end, it only dishonors. Our culture claims to want to empower. That's that's the word we hear all the time. We need to empower, yet somehow we're supposed to believe that women performing a striptease at a halftime show is somehow good for them and empowering. While claiming to empower, they instead shame. We Christians, however, having the designer's perspective given to us in the pages of scripture, we see the glorious design of God, the the creative way in his infinite wisdom he has designed and we are able to look with eyes enlightened by the truth and actually rejoice and celebrate true glorious femininity. I, I do not normally Uh, preach a a Mother's Day or a Father's Day sermon. And really, I'm not doing so, so much today. But what I do want to do is take the opportunity and occasion to celebrate God's glory in his design and help us delight in godly femininity, which is to say, true femininity. Femininity in singleness, in marriage, motherhood, grandmahood, empty nesters, widows, etc. every place that God knit you and then placed you in this world and he intends your life in the great panorama picture, in the great mosaic uh, work of his art to display his glory. So let me try to do this this morning in, in two parts. Uh, first, I want to show you from scripture, make the case from scripture of God's design for maleness and femaleness, and then secondly, looking specifically at femaleness and rejoicing in its beauty. But let me say just just maybe one word of application before we even get started. If you've been joining with us and are uh, new to studying the Bible, you've heard us say again and again that the way that we come to be right with God and receive eternal life is by repenting, and believing. It is to trust in the Lord. It is to take God at his word. It is to believe. And what we come to see is we begin by trusting in the message of the gospel, trusting in Christ. And then as we grow in the knowledge of God's word, we take God at his word. 
But you're going to find all of us come out of the culture, out of the world. It is a regular thing. We find in God's word things that are contradictory to what we have previously believed. And at that moment, we have a, there is a challenge. Will we submit and take God at his word? Or will we try to tell God how he's supposed to behave? Try to tell him how he should have made the world rather than seeing him as the sovereign and submitting. And I just suggest to you that if you're new to studying the Bible, today's doctrines are probably going to challenge you in ways that you've might not been before. Because I am gonna tell you from the very beginning that the way God designed the world and the callings that he give are contradictory to what you are hearing in all of the voices preaching around you from culture. And you have to decide from the beginning, will I believe God or do I think I get to tell him what to do? Let's begin by looking at God's design in maleness and femaleness. In Genesis chapters one and two, we have God very briefly explaining how he created the heavens and the earth. And you know that the crowning work of his creation was the work of creating mankind. And what we're talking about today in maleness and femaleness in this section of one and two, it's not the whole and it's not even necessarily the central idea of this section, but it is a major point that God makes in this. If, if you think that the whole discussion on male and female, maleness and femaleness is a new kind of discussion. <laughs> this has been going on since the Garden of Eden. We're going to see that even in God's creation and then as Satan tempted, this has been part of the design of this world and part of the controversy from the beginning. God created male and female. But what is also important to see, especially as you come into chapter two, uh, chapter two is God taking the sixth day and going into further detail on the creation of man and woman. We see that not only did God create male and female, but he created maleness and femaleness, meaning we are not the same. Our differences are not just parts and not just social constructs, but by design, different. There's a way that God created men to be and behave and work and live. And there is a similar but distinct way that he created women for his purposes. And, and I mentioned just a second ago that our differences are not just social constructs. Here, here's what I mean by that. There's a belief system that has been around for a while. It's very popular. We hear it all around us. And even though it is obviously scientifically ignorant, this belief system is still around and still influencing. And, and listen, anytime there's a popular belief influencing in culture, its influence also spills over into the church because we're not Amish, okay? <laughs> Meaning we live in this culture. We interact, we're hearing the voices that are going on there. And so anytime there's a popular belief of culture and whenever you uh, are listening to teachers at school, when you're having conversations at work, the news, it's in the movies, it's in the TV shows, it's assumed all around us, it has a way of influencing us as well. We are saved out of the culture. That means that there are ways that even some of our personal beliefs 
have been skewed by the popular beliefs of culture. And scripture tells us to take every thought captive to obedience to Christ. But here's the popular belief I'm referring to with the social constructs of gender. Many believe that the only difference between male and female is parts. And the reason why men generally act in a certain way and women generally act in another is because society teaches them that they're supposed to. And, they say, all society is always sexist, teaches boys to play with guns and girls to play with dolls, and it's a big conspiracy for men to be in power, and this is referred to as the patriarchy. And if you ever hear the voices saying, down with the patriarchy, this is what they are referring to. And so the idea is if we could just all move past sexism and just raise boys and girls the same, there would be an equal distribution of men and women in every job, every family role, perfect balance in leadership, and we would finally have the utopia we all long for. But all of that is in contradiction to what God reveals in scripture. What God shows us in the design and the creation of male and female is that there is something that it means to be a man and something similar but distinct that it means to be female. Both were carefully designed by the infinitely wise creator. Both together, listen, were designed to display the glory of God together in a way that would not be possible if only one existed. We were designed to complement one another. And listen, we, we know that we talk of these things in marriage, the complement in marriage, but this goes beyond that. The complementing of male and female in marriage is, is probably where it is the most clear. It's where it is maybe shown in the most obvious ways. But God means it for more than that. God means that for maleness and femaleness to complement one another in the great panorama picture that the angels see from heaven. That when they look at God's design on the world that amongst single men and single women, there is still this panorama of complementing. That in this work of art that God designed, there are still glories that are shown. Both are made in his image and when we come together, yes, in marriage, but also in these other ways, the whole panorama is a revelation of God's character and a display of his glory that could never exist if only one or the other only existed. God created maleness and femaleness as a work of art, art that is meant to be admired, displayed, wondered at, for us to tell others, look at God's design. Look at the wisdom of this. Look at the beauty of this and then to rejoice in worship. And so if we start with this, God's design for his glory, and then we also take into this the belief that ultimately our greatest fulfillment and joy will come in living out God's design, we can see why Satan tempts the world in the way that he does. In Genesis 2, God created Adam and gave him his marching orders, and then God created Eve as his helpmeet, his helper. God created her not out of his head and not out of his foot, but out of his side and under his arm. God is 
preaching truths in those things. It's going to help you understand God, this world, and the scriptures to know. I don't think we could say every single time, though I'm tempted to, but very, very often when God works, he works in a way that even his actions preach sermons. So in the creation of Eve, there is a whole theology in metaphor, poetic pictures that are being shown there. Adam was created to lead and Eve to follow. Adam was created to initiate and Eve to respond. Well, in Genesis 3, when Satan comes and tempts, you remember his method. His method was to subvert the order that God had designed. His method was a work to reverse the order God had established. And ever since that day, Satan has been continuing this attempt to reverse and bring chaos to the order that God designed. Uh, Elizabeth Elliot commenting on uh, the passage in Genesis 3 there, she says that when Eve acted in this role reversal, she refused her femininity. And then in the rest of chapter 3 there, when God pronounces the curse, we see some insights into maleness and femaleness, even as he addresses the curse. If you remember, as Adam is being spoken to with the curse, have you ever wondered why is it that in Adam's part of the curse that the ground is cursed? Well, it's because this is his wheelhouse. This is part of his design to work the ground for the provision of the family. In Adam's curse, work was cursed. When Eve is addressed and her uh, curse is spoken from God, her womb is cursed. Eve's calling primarily being, or one of the great ways we would say, one of the great ways of her calling to be lived out was in the, the bearing and raising and nurturing of children. She endured difficulty in the midst of this. We see God showing all of these things in the first three chapters of scripture. And so watch this, God created maleness and femaleness, commissioned them, Satan worked to bring chaos to the order of God's design and he's still continuing today. The chaos we see in our culture over all of the arguments, and yes, we could beat dead horses and feel exalted if we just all together talk about the stupidity of the transgenderism and knowing which bathroom to use and all of these kinds of things. That's easy. But understand, Satan has been doing this for a long time. Today, it's wearing a different hat, but it's the same kind of temptation that has been going on throughout history. And so part of what I hope that we see so far is that complementarianism, and I'll define that here in just a second, it's written into creation. The complementary roles that, that God has designed, created, and explains like really clearly in the New Testament, it's not just a New Testament thing. This was written into creation. This has been written from the very beginning. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that, that word complementarian. It's essentially the word that sums up what I've been explaining here, that God designed maleness and femaleness to fit together like a puzzle piece. Puzzle pieces that were designed for one another. And we don't just mean physically, though yes, that was designed by God. And, and, and sometimes, especially adults, there is a sermon that God intends to be there in marital intimacy. 
there are poetic metaphors that God is demonstrating um, even in, even when we look from this kind of way. If the es essence of husbanding is initiating, leading, and giving, the essence of femininity is responding and receiving. But even beyond parts, the whole panorama picture of maleness and femaleness lived out as God designed shows a beautiful complementing of one another. So for instance, when we as a church were uh, choosing our building team, uh, there's a reason why we very specifically chose both men and women. Why? Because of this creation principle, because of strengths and weaknesses that God has designed and that the, the strengths that he has uh, put in there and the weaknesses are often corrective to one another. That very often where I'm an idiot, my wife excels and vice versa. By God's design, strengths and weaknesses. Now this is a cursed and fallen world and so everything doesn't work perfectly like it did before the fall and like it will in the ages to come. But what we see happening right now is that in Christ, as souls come to faith in Christ, as men and women come to him, and there is the transforming, the growing, the sanctifying of who we are, we are growing into the ideal forms of what we were designed to be. And that includes maleness and femaleness. God is bringing a redemption, a redemption of the picture of his glory. But also see this. We've seen all of this and we've not yet even turned to places like Ephesians 5. But I, I do want to ask you if you'll flip there with me right now. Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, the, the reason why we, we mentioned this so specifically is this is probably the clearest place in the whole Bible that these things that we're talk to, talking about are laid out. The order of marriage, the order of God's design, but sometimes people get the idea that like this is only a New Testament thing or the idea that this is like only about a marriage thing. What we're seeing is all of this is revealed in the opening chapters of the Bible. What happens in the New Testament is that there is a looking back on the design of God going further into the details. There's clarifying that happens. And then watch this. This, this is the most glorious of them all. What we also see is that when God created and designed, there are sermons preached about the glory of God in the complementing of male and femaleness. God also wrote into the story of history, even from creation, the message of the gospel. Pictures, poetic pictures in metaphor of God acting as the initiator, leader, and provider. And how is it that we receive salvation? By receiving Christ by faith. These pictures and metaphors are written into God's design and the gospel was written even from the beginning. So, so, so watch this. We'll read this passage very quickly in a summary kind of way. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives 
And here's your standard. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. And then here's the referencing back to Genesis 2. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Ephesians 5 is taking the creation principles and further expounding on them and then taking it further. And so isn't it amazing? The order that God establishes here is not just a New Testament thing. It's written into creation. But, but also notice this as well. God's instructions for male and female in marriage, in the church and such, these are not just abstract rules that have no rhyme or reason. It's rooted in how God designed men and women. So an example, uh, take a hammer and a saw. They're both tools and they both play a part in a greater work, build the house. Same goal, similar, kinds of ways in that they're working at it, but there is a distinction. And so imagine if the owner of the tools, my daughters have heard some instructions like this before. If you're going to use my saw, my nice, very nice saw, don't be abusing it by beating nails with it or trying to hack things off with it. Use the hammer to drive nails. Use the saw to cut wood. Don't be using one for the other there. There's a similar goal, but a distinct way that they are to be used. So God speaks to men and women. And while our culture is constantly finding that kind of language, oh, they've got all kinds of names for it. But what we see is these rules that God has given, they're not abstract, pulled out of the air for no rhyme or reason. They're in accordance with their design. A hammer was designed to drive nails. A saw was designed to cut wood. And God calls men and women that we are to labor, we are to live, we are to behave, we are to serve, we are to fulfill our calling in ways that are striving for the ideal form of what he designed. And while the world loves to call all of that by a lot of different names, I'm constantly finding that there are more women who celebrate and rejoice in complementarianism even than men. Because when it is lived rightly, it is so satisfying. And yes, of course, there is a wrong way for these things to be applied. God hates, we hate, and you should hate ways that evil men have abused God's design and have even used the Bible as an excuse to do so. There are, there are bad examples within the church, within the name of Christianity, 
of ways that evil, selfish men have used these kinds of things to manipulate them in order to lord and dominate and just be wicked. And on Father's Day, we'll address some of those instructions to men on ways to live this out. But what we see is this beautiful design of God in maleness and femaleness. Secondly, let's spend a little bit of time thinking specifically on the beauty of femininity. What God created is good. Do you ever have a project and you finish it and then when you're done, you hate what you just made? My wife laughs at me all the time because I do this. I'll finish something, I look at it and I'm just like, I just wanna burn it, I hate it, I can't stand what I just made here. It didn't turn out how I wanted it to. And then every once in a while you build a project and at the end of it, you're like, this, this turned out pretty good and you're excited about it. God created and at the end of each day, he made the pronouncement, God saw that it was good. Uh, God's standard of glory is quite a bit higher than your and I's as well. God finished each day and saw that it was good. God finished all of creation, looked back on all of it and saw that it was very good. He finished the whole of creation, the whole mosaic of his work of art a mosaic that incorporates that even individual parts like electrons and neutrons, there is glory of God displayed in the detail. But then when it all is looked at together, there is an even more astounding display of his glory. God finished his whole mosaic and said that it was very good. The whole earth is filled with the glory of God. But the spirit of the age despises the design and cannot see the beauty. But we look in, we see places where the Bible will highlight feminine attributes and show their glory. The Bible does the same thing with men, like we'll look at on Father's Day, like in those passages about David's mighty men. What's happening there? God is just taking masculine attributes and showing glory. God does the same thing with feminine attributes. When God gives us these heroines, when God gives us Ruth and Esther and Deborah and Priscilla in the New Testament, correcting heresy and teaching theology and working alongside of her husband in the work of ministry, God is highlighting feminine attributes and he is showing their glory and beauty. Nurturing is beautiful. Sweetness is beautiful. Femininity is part of God's work to bring beauty to the world. Let, that, let this one sink in. Do some more meditating on it. Femininity is part of God's work to bring beauty, to display beauty to the world. But back in Genesis, this was like a big light bulb moment for me. Back in Genesis, when God designed the world, part of what we are shown is he made some trees to be good for food and he made some trees for beauty. In other words, God is not just utilitarian. God did not just make a world that is only about function. I don't know about you guys, but I have had tendencies in my life to see the world only in terms of utilitarian. You know, every project has just got to be, it's got it's to work, it's got to be functional. And it's just a, C.S. Lewis helped open my eyes to see that there is this whole other side of God's glory in that he delights to make beautiful things. 
He delights to show uh, glory in, in song, in beautiful sights, and God has worked partly in femininity as a way of bringing beauty to the world. It is part of God's intention, and how incredible is it? He's not just utilitarian, he is a maker of beauty, and there's a whole side of God's glory that we can miss. Femaleness is part of God's work to put beauty in the world. And we don't just mean, when we say that, I don't just mean physically speaking. Though, sure, that would be a part of it. The Bible celebrates physical beauty. Sometimes Christians get the idea that because the Bible um, glorifies inner beauty, that somehow physical beauty is, is not to be appreciated. No, the Bible celebrates this as well. Now, where do I get some of that thought there. Well, partly from observing God's world, and scripture shows that it is legitimate that when we are carefully looking at the world through the lenses of scripture, we can draw conclusions. But think about places like 2 Peter 3, when a sermon is preached to women on beauty. It, can you think of a place where God ever does that to men? <laughs> no, why not? It's obvious why. This is part of a woman's wheelhouse. And, and part of what God preaches there in that passage is not to obsess over the external beauties. Why? Not because it's not a display of his glory, but because in this life it is temporary. However physically beautiful you may be, you only get in it for a little while and then it fades. But the inner beauty, what it is doing is it is showing where inner beauty, how it, it trumps and has a higher priority than physical beauty. And so scripture preaches and says, pursue incredible beauty, but not the kind of beauty that's going to fade, but the kind of beauty that when the angels look down on this earth, they see a display of his glory. And then in the ages to come, there will be the external and inner beauty that is there. We see all of this, but it is the inner beauty that God preaches and highlights. And so, for, and so when we look at that though, and we say the conclusion that God's work in femaleness is part of his way to bring beauty to the world, think about some of the lives like Amy Carmichael. Uh, reading about Amy Carmichael, I came to the conclusion that she had a beautiful life contributed to the kingdom of God in beautiful ways before I ever saw a picture of her. You know, whenever we just see her works, her character, her virtue, her heart, the way she served, the way she devoted her life to the glory of God. She never married and never bore children from her womb, but God used her feminine talents for his kingdom, caring for souls and the effect that she had on this world, the effect that she had for the gospel is in a way that a man could never duplicate. Now that's not to pit men and women against each other. If you notice, that's always what the world is doing. Who's better? What the Bible is constantly showing is when there is a bringing together of the talents, there is the fullest display of his glory. Amy Carmichael worked alongside of men and there were things they brought to the table that she never could have, but she used her feminine gifts and talents for the glory of God and produced an effect that has left the world still being shaken by the ripples of the effect of her life. God has 
displayed his glory in this. The world keeps preaching to women, you need to get powerful. The mantra repeated over and over again is empower women. And let's just be crystal clear so that there is no mistake. When the church preaches God's design and God brings about his work, God produces strong women. If you have the idea that what the Bible wants to produce is, is a weakness there, I think you're getting that from some bad examples under the name of Christianity. Look at the ways that God puts on display these heroines of the Bible like Priscilla in the New Testament. God wants strong daughters, but it's a different kind of strength. It's not the strength that the world is constantly preaching. The world is constantly preaching we need to send our women into combat. We need more movies about women kicking butt. We need more Avengers movies to be women warriors. But again, don't you see what is happening there? It is taking masculine traits and saying, women, if you really wanna be great, then you need to act like men. Look, there is a distinct beauty that the female voice has. I, I have told Tara before that when Josie sings, she can just about bring tears to your eyes. It, it's so beautiful. Yes, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a beauty, there is a kind of pleasure that a, a male voice can bring, but there is a different one that the feminine voice can have. But imagine if all feminine singers all started trying to lower their voice and try to sound like men. What would be the effect? Well, some of them might be able to make some okay music, but mostly it would sound unnatural. And when we Christians look at the world and see this constant running away from how God designed and trying to act like men, we say, you're being robbed of this glory that God designed. God in scripture calls out to you and says, how I made you is delightful. Rejoice in it. Live it in fulfillment. True femininity is glorious. God designed his daughters to serve him in 10,000 ways. There are ways that we are called to live and work and serve that men and women are both called to the same work and we work largely in the same kind of way. Think evangelism. Then there are other works where God calls both men and women to do it, but the way that we do it is distinct. Think child raising. And then there are some works that are distinct for male and distinct for female. A man ought not do this and a, a woman ought not do this because of God's design. Let me quote Miss Elliot one last time. In speaking of femininity, she said, it is an utter and unconditional self-giving. This is what I understand to be the essence of femininity. It means surrender. Think of a bride. She surrenders her independence, her name, her destiny, her will, herself to the bridegroom in marriage. Then in the marriage chamber, she surrenders her body, her priceless gift of virginity, all that has been hidden. As a mother, she makes a new surrender. It is her life for the life of the child. This is most profoundly what women, women were made for, married or single. Femininity receives. The family, the church, and the world needs what God designed his daughters for the church needs this. Ministry is caring for others. Ministry is serving others' physical needs and spiritual needs. 
And the way that men and women do this are sometimes similar, but with distinction. When tragedy comes upon a people, both men and women are called to work, and we often think of men building things, but it is the ministry of the heart that God designed his daughters to so excel in. I remember here recently with our family in particular having an occasion where an experience left us shaken and men had a way that they came alongside of us and brought help and it is good and it was very functional. But I can tell you that when it came to the soul work, the work of comfort, the work of healing, the work of being there, it was the virtuous women of our church who flourished in ways that a man could never duplicate. Daughters of God were meant to step into hurt, to step into tragedy, to use their gifts of nurturing and care for the glory of God. Femininity is God's design and it's glorious. The world around you never stops trying to influence you to suppress it. The world never stops preaching its message that your labors uh, to your family are a waste, that if you really want to have value, then you'll go find it in the world's accolades. Don't fall for it. Labor in the work that your God has given you. Live out God's design. God, God speaks to you in scripture, and for you women of faith, one of the titles that he gives you is Daughters of Sarah. Daughters of Sarah and Daughters of God. The world, your church, your family needs you to be who God designed you to be. The world needs to see the right picture of what godly femininity is. And when they see it, more of God's glory will be shown. To you who are outside of Christ, man or woman, you'll be able to become who God created you to be only as you are in union with Christ. Receive Christ by believing, placing your faith in him, trust in Christ, God will save you and God will begin the work of forming you into what he designed you to be. And then in the ages to come, when the glorification has occurred, we'll see the full picture that we only get taste of right now. Let me pray for you. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your grace. Father, we pray that you will give us mercy in the days ahead as we as a church continue to meet together. We do pray for your protection. We pray for your blessing. We pray for mercy on our nation, O oh Lord, going through all that we are. Please, God, bring healing, bring mercy, bring order. And Father, please give grace to our church, Lord, that we will glorify you. We thank you, O oh Lord, for your design for what you've made in this world. Help us to live it out to your glory. Please bless us and bring us back here again. We ask all these things in the name of Christ. Amen. God bless you all. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. Tune in again next week as we continue through God's Word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TrueVineIND, or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.